As you turn to Isaiah 47, I want you to imagine being the most powerful nation in the world. Imagine knowing that your power not only comes from your king and your military, but also through your knowledge. In the case of Babylon, your knowledge would be in the areas of astrology, sorcery, and ways to manipulate the natural order of the world. That's Babylon. You could say it this way. Babylon was a very religious nation. They had various arts, sacrifices, in which you would then open up the sacrifice and read the entrails. And you would learn about your future. In fact, the art of reading the entrails, as I understand it, was uh, to, to gain knowledge in this, was the equivalent of a master's degree today. Babylon gave us astrology like no other nation in history. They gave us the 12 zodiac signs that are still used today. 2,500 years ago, uh, they created this. And it is still utilized today by superstitious and uh, people who are not honoring God. If people today in our natural world, our modern world, are still superstitious, that there is something to horoscopes, how much faith and effort do you believe that the Babylonians had in this? in their day and age, with their effort, surviving 2,500 years. They had many gods, many idols. We've been, we've been in, in, in chapters 40 through 48, we've been hearing God talk about the worthless idols that man carves and man coats with gold and then man mounts so it won't topple over and God's been ridiculing idols, trying to draw Israel away from idols. Uh, they had a lot of worship, but they did not have salvation. They did not have redemption it was religion without salvation in Babylon. These last two chapters of this section, 40 through 48, chapters 47 and 48, um, are a conclusion, and two things must happen. Number one, Babylon must fall, and God's going to call it before it happens as a matter of prophecy. Number two, when it does fall to Persia, to a king, a future king that nobody knows now, over 100 years in advance, named Cyrus, Israel will have the opportunity to return home, and they're being prepared here. God has said many times in this section, I am telling you what will happen before it happens so that when it happens, you will know that it is me. Because you see, Israel at the end of this is going to need to return back to their homeland. Is that going to be an easy journey back to their homeland to rebuild the walls, to rebuild the city? Is there going to be a lot of support from their neighbors? Is it going to be a desirable journey? Not at all. But it is very important that they see these prophetic utterances, these truths that are being told in advance so that when they happen, they know that this is part of a bigger narrative and they obey God and they go back to their homeland. By the way, that is why I have a real problem with people who see prophecy that is yet to be fulfilled as being merely, merely metaphors. That it's all metaphors. That, that all of those defeats of all of those nations and the minor prophets that hasn't happened yet, of the Old Testament that is yet to happen going into the millennial kingdom, that all of the prophecies of the New Testament, that all of these are just metaphors. No, no, God is saying, I am the God who tells you about these things before they happen. Because I'll tell you something, in the millennial kingdom, there will be unsaved people. There will be people coming to faith. And if they are looking back at a scripture that, well, yeah, well, those things didn't really, it, it was all metaphor, it doesn't build faith. 
the way truth builds faith. And I believe that we're dealing with truth claims as God names a King Cyrus over a century before the man is even born and wants us to know that he named him by name. So let's read uh, Isaiah chapter 47 here. And this is uh, about the humiliation of Babylon. Looking at Isaiah 47, verse 1. Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground without a throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans. For you shall no more be called tender and delicate. Take the millstones and grind flour. Put off your veil. Strip off your robe. Uncover your legs. Pass through the rivers. Your nakedness shall be uncovered and your disgrace shall be seen. I will take vengeance and I will spare no one. Our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, his name is the Holy One of Israel. Sit in silence and go into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for you shall no more be called the mistress of kingdoms. I was angry with my people. I profaned my heritage. I gave them into your hands. You showed them no mercy. On the aged, you made your yoke exceedingly heavy. You said, I shall be mistress forever so that you did not lay these things to heart or remember their end. Now, therefore, hear this, you lover of pleasures, who sit securely, who say in your heart, I am, and there is no one besides me. I shall not sit as a widow or know the loss of children. These two two things shall come to you in a moment, in one day. The loss of children and widowhood shall come upon you in full measure." In spite of your many sorceries and the great power of your enchantments, you felt secure in your wickedness. You said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge led you astray. And you said in your heart, I am and there is no one beside me. But evil shall come upon you, which you will not know how to charm away. Disaster shall fall upon you, for which you shall not be able to atone. And ruin shall come upon you suddenly, of which you know nothing. Stand fast in your enchantments and your many sorceries, with which you have labored from your youth. Perhaps you may be able to succeed. Perhaps you may inspire terror. You are wearied with your many counsels. Let them stand forth and save you. Those who divide the heavens, who gaze at the stars, who at the new moons make known what shall come upon you. Behold, they are like stubble. The fire consumes them. They cannot deliver themselves from the power of the flame. No coal for warming oneself is this. No fire to sit before. Such to you are those with whom you have labored, who have done business with you from your youth. They wander about each in his own direction. There is no one to save you. Let's pray. God, as we look at Babylon today, we recognize that you are God, that you tell these things about great nations before they happen, and you bring them to pass. Father, as we study Babylon, we do not look down on her, we look over at her. Father, we are an arrogant people as well, an arrogant nation. We see how other people live in other nations, and we say sometimes to ourselves, I would never live like that. Father, I pray that you would forgive us of our pride. I pray, Father, that you would help us to use our prosperity to serve you, to glorify you, to love your people across the world. And God, I pray that your word would have a work in our hearts today. 
God, help us to avoid pride. Help us, Lord, to avoid, avoid shortcuts in this life. The use of enchantments, astrology, or any uh, tricks of darkness to grease the skids of our life, to try to manipulate our, the world around us. God, help us to place ourselves in your hands, to pray for you to change our circumstances or for you to change us through the circumstances. And God, I pray that you'd help us to submit to you as our sovereign. In Jesus' name, amen. Babylon will, uh, as we start our outline here, Babylon will mistakenly assume that she will have ongoing prosperity as the mistress of the world. In verse number 1 through 5, God says, Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground without a throne. Now, a throne was very important in antiquities. Sennacherib was even known to carry a throne whenever he went to war so that when he won, he would have a throne to sit on and yeah, it's just very important that he had a throne. And, 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 and they're going to lose the throne. They're going to be sitting in the dirt. You're going to be sitting on the ground. Uh, sitting on the dirt, don't underestimate that either. Um, when, uh, those of you who know me, if, you, if I come over to your house and, and we're watching a football game or something, you'll find I sit on the floor. Um, that, that's kind of, you know, in my own house, that's where I sit is usually on the floor. So I'm over in Africa and, and there's 40 people and 20 chairs, I'm happy to sit on the ground. Uh, I learned that that probably isn't the right thing to do culturally because I'm a guest of honor there. And, and when I sit on the ground, I'm maybe even drawing attention to the fact there's 40 people and only 20 chairs being provided, right? And, and so it's as if we can't provide for our guest of honor. So they, they, they divvy out, you know, the seats of honor to the aged and to guests of honor and so you want to be careful about just sitting on the ground in the old place. Uh, there is a real shame and honor associated that, both with the people providing the hospitality as well as the people receiving it. And so, and so Babylon is being told, hey, you're thrown. Uh, you're going to lose that. You're going to be sitting in the dirt. That, that's a big deal. Continuing in verse 1, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for you shall no more be called tender and delicate. Take the millstone and grind flour. Now, this is not, hey, let's be like Martha Stewart. Let's make our own bread. No, uh, this, is, this is something. This is being the part. This is being a servant girl. Uh, this is what the servant girls would do. This is not what uh, the, the queen would do. Okay? Um, put off your veil. Strip off your robe. Uncover your legs. Pass through the rivers. Uh, what's this about, uncovering your legs, passing through the rivers? In antiquities, uh, you didn't have a lot of bridges. Uh, you, you, had, you had forge, you had, you had uh, shallow spots in rivers, and you would cross there. Well, if you're a person of any stature, you had servants, and they would carry a leader on their shoulders, a, a chair on their shoulders, and you would get on the chair, they would lift you, they would get wet, you would stay dry. And this is just your paradigm. Uh, you just don't. And 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 um, and. Uh, but but those going through the water, they had to you know rearrange their clothing or or take off the lower parts of their clothing. And and you might be wondering, well, what about modesty? I, I would think it'd be like public bathing or even you when you go to a swimming pool. Uh, you can have uh, one of you ladies could have a nice modest uh, one-piece bathing suit with a little short skirt thing. And if you wore that to church today. That would be totally immodest. That would be totally inappropriate, right? But, but when you're at a pool, it's just, there's just a different standard. So likewise, when you're crossing rivers, uh, you know, they, they, they just, they're kind of like getting their swimming uh, attire or their swimming ensemble on and they're, they're walking across. Well, the wealthy women, the queens, would have none of that. That just was not their place in life. But here, it's just being very graphic. You're going to humble yourself and you're going to be like uh, the servant women. Uh, you're going to be like the ones carrying the leader across. 
in, in verse number three, I think it's much more stark and, 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 uh, and harsh. It says, your nakedness shall be uncovered and your disgrace shall be seen. I will take vengeance and I will spare no one. Our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts is his name, is his name, is the Holy One of Israel. In other words, I think that is being interjected here because this is God talking. This is God talking about the inconceivable, that the great Babylon, who is yet to arise to her greatness, to the, to, to the pinnacle of her greatness, the great Babylon will be undone in this manner. And verse 5, sit in silence and go into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for you shall no more be called the mistress of kingdoms. Now that word mistress sometimes has a shady connotation. That's not what is, this is here. This would be the, the queen mother of the nations. You will no longer be called the queen of the nations. So Babylon in verse 1 was depicted as the virgin daughter. That was not a statement of purity when it calls her the virgin daughter. That is a statement of vulnerability. When warriors break through the wall and they kill all of the men and all of the man child, uh, the, the men children, all of the soldiers, they're breaking through the, the walls, they're destroying everyone but the women. And who among the women are going to be the most violated, the most vulnerable? The virgin daughters. And, and so that is the sense in which uh, Babylon is being called a virgin daughter. She is going to be most susceptible to the worst abuses. The word picture of their future, grinding at a millstone. Removal of fine clothing and, and, and donning of clothing for crossing a river. In verse 3, nakedness and shame. Now, we cannot place with certainty this defeat of Babylon. If you read Daniel 5, you will see that King Belshazzar was on the throne and, and you will see that he was killed by a King Darius or Darius. I'll use the pronunciation Darius since I don't know which one to use. Um, but but uh, King Darius kills uh, Bel Belshazzar, the king of Babylon. Well, Cyrus is reported in history to be the one who defeated the Babylonians. And on the Cyrus scroll, he said that he defeated them without all that much warfare, that it was rather easy. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar was the king at the time of Babylon, and, uh, and, and according to, to Cyrus, and he, and he took him into captivity. So which is it? Was the king of Babylon killed or was he taken into captivity? Was the king of Babylon Belshazzar or was it Nebuchadnezzar? It was both. Nebuchadnezzar had actually retired, had taken up, uh, had lived a retirement lifestyle. He was, uh, he was engrossed in antiquities, and, uh, and, uh, for his time antiquities. And uh, he was off enjoying life, and he left his son Belshazzar on the throne. The Bible and the Cyrus Scroll are not in conflict. It, it just tells you that the, the truth has more texture and more complexity uh, than, than you might initially understand. What about Darius or Darius versus Cyrus? What, what was the name? Uh, well, uh, Cyrus could have had two names. Uh, like I, I talked about Pastor Nicholas. His name is Makasana. Um, my sister-in-law, Ting Yi, her name is also Christine. Uh, people have two names, and he could have had two names. He could have also, like Nabonidus, had a son who he sent into warfare to be a king, a, a, a warring king. So basically, as we look at this in, in history, this is what we know, that, uh, that Belshazzar was killed by Darius, that Cyrus captured Nabonidus, and, and that overall, the defeat of Babylon was not that terrible, uh, according to Cyrus's perspective. And, uh, and, and so maybe 
Some of this prophecy about Babylon is yet to be fulfilled. And if you're, when we get to the book of Revelation, we will see additional prophecies concerning the nation of Babylon. So anyway, there's, there's much to be discovered here in the future. There's also much to be discovered in archaeology about uh, the, the kingdom of uh, Babylon and how it fell. Um, as we continue here, we see that God punishes Israel in history using Babylon to judge it. And then he turns around and he punishes Babylon for having, uh, uh, for its harshness toward Israel. Uh, look at verses 6 and 7. This is really, I, I think this is a key in understanding of God's relationship to Israel when he punishes Israel. And notice the three verbs where God assigns all agency to himself. In verse 6, I was angry with my people. This is God speaking. I was angry with my people. Verb number 2, I profaned my heritage. I harmed my heritage, my people. Verse 3, I gave them into your hand. So Israel falling to Babylon, God isn't like, oh, you know, I didn't, I'm so sorry. (laughs) No, God is saying, that was me. I purposed this. How did they respond? Why is God upset? Look at the end of verse number 6. You showed them no mercy. I gave them into your hand for punishment. You showed them no mercy. On the aged, you made your yoke exceedingly heavy. And here's your heart in all of it. In verse 7, you said, I shall be mistress forever, queen forever, so that you did not lay these things to heart or remember their end. Jeremiah says it this way, I will repay Babylon and all the inhabitants of Chaldea before your very eyes for all the evil they have done in Zion declares the Lord. What's going on here? How can God hand Israel over and say, punish them, and then you punish them, and God says, you're going to get judged for that? Well, I think there's two things at work here. Number one is, there's a special blessing on Israel. In, in Genesis 12, God calls Abraham, and he lays on Abraham some very special promises. It says, the Lord says to Abraham, I'm reading from Genesis 12:1. go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, the promised land. And I will make of you a great nation. That's the nation of Israel. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. This is Abraham, and I believe this applies to the nation of Israel too. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. That is a promise that Abraham, you, your nation that follows from you, whoever dishonors you, I will curse them. And then he gives this last promise in Genesis 3, or Genesis 12, 3, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. How does Abraham bless all of the families of the earth? Through him comes the Messiah. Through him comes salvation. Through him comes Jesus Christ. And so these promises in Genesis 12, 3, and Lot lived this out. Lot honored Abraham, went with him to the promised land. Lot was blessed with all kinds of wealth. So much so there was friction. And when he didn't honor his uncle, he lost everything twice. He got kidnapped once with all of his belongings. Abraham saved him. And then at the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, he lost everything for good. And, and I think Lot just illustrates to us this promise. Those who dishonor you, Abraham, I'm going to curse Lot shows us that, and Babylon is showing that in this text. So I believe that's one thing that is going on. But the other thing that's going on is this. God wants you, as a Christian, to be predisposed towards mercy and moderation in life. 
Uh, listen to this proverb. It's listed in, if you want to look it up later, it's in your notes. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls. Now that's hard, isn't it? When somebody has been after you and hurting you and they get their comeuppance, there's something in you that wants to go, yeah, oh man, vengeance, as if you're the center of the universe and this is happening to them because of you. (laughs) Do not rejoice when your enemy falls and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it and be displeased and turn away his anger from him. Do you see that God finds rejoicing at your enemy's defeat to be unbecoming to him? He's displeased when you have a heart that rejoices when other people get hurt. He finds it shallow and distasteful. For all of the day-to-day friction you have with people in and around your life, don't rejoice when they have hard times. Don't be out to destroy people and create hard times. Understand that your Heavenly Father wants this out of you. He wants you to bless those who curse you. That's your agenda. That's your lot in life. And blessing those who curse you comes from the heart. Now, that would be a hard thing to accept if all of this weren't going somewhere, right? Uh, We don't live for this lifetime. We are living for eternity. We are living for entering God's presence and hearing, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. That's what we live for. We have all of the prophecies of the Bible to tell us that it's worth living for that too, that God's word is true, God's promises are true, God's promises are all trustworthy. So from your heart, you are to have mercy and moderation toward your enemies, toward those who hate you, toward those who work against you. And a clear witness for Christ all along the way. You might just win a new brother. Well, let's go to point three here. Babylon's assumption will be interrupted by brutal defeat. Her pride, her arrogance, her assumptiveness will be interrupted. Verse number eight. After not showing any mercy to Israel, now therefore hear this, you lover of pleasures who sit securely, who say in your heart, I am. That phrase, I am, uh, that, that would really stand out to a Jew, wouldn't it? <laughs> It appears twice in this, in this passage because that's God's name, I am, self-existent, right? But this is the attitude of Babylon, I am and there is no one besides me. Can you imagine a nation that's so arrogant that thinks it's just the best in the world? I am, there's no one besides me. I shall not sit as a widow or know the loss of children. You look at people, living in third world countries, living in somewhat of a state of squalor, and you say, well, I can never live like that. That, That's, I think that's this statement here. I am. There's no one besides me. I shall not sit as a widow or know the loss of children. Verse 9, these two things shall come to you in a moment, in one day, the loss of children and widowhood shall come upon you in full measure. And then he adds this, in spite of your many sorceries and your great power, the great power of your enchantments, they were a religious nation. They had a lot of supernatural activity going on. And you say, do you really think that they really had supernatural uh, manifestations in all their sorceries? Do you really think there's something to the horoscopes and the astrology? 
I think there's a demonic realm that sees to it that there's at least something behind all of that. At least some demonstrable effectiveness. It's kind of like playing golf. You know, okay, if, when you play golf, one out of 20 shots, you hit that thing so beautiful, you believe you're going to become a great golfer someday, right? It's, it's just enough to keep you coming back, right? I think that, I think sorcery, I think that the, the horoscopes and that if you follow all of that stuff, that, you know, once in a while, once in a while, you're going to see something supernatural. And you're going to feel like, man, I can control my environment through this. Just enough to keep you coming back. But I, I, do think that they, I do think that there was something to their enchantments. I do think there is something to the, the, the zodiac signs when they have survived 2,500 years. Millions, maybe hundreds of millions of people today still following that. In our day of naturalism, atheism, and uh, they still follow this stuff. So I do believe that there must be something to it, just enough to keep you coming back. In, in, in verse number 10, you felt secure in your wickedness. You said, no one sees me. Look at this next phrase. Your wisdom and your knowledge led you astray. <laughs> your, wis your wisdom and your knowledge led you astray. Be very skeptical over your wisdom and your knowledge when it is not grounded in this word right here. Because you can believe a lot of things that sound fine, they sound logical, and they can lead you astray. Our Father gave us a book. We need to follow the book. We need to be very, very, very careful to follow him. Disaster shall fall. I'm in the middle of verse 11. Disaster shall fall upon you for which you will not be able to... Oh, look at these three verbs. Evil shall come upon you which you have not known. Disaster... How to charm away. Disaster shall fall upon you. The second verb. Disaster shall fall upon you for which you will not be able to atone. And ruin shall come upon you suddenly of which you know nothing. So... As we look at this, it's a nation that just thinks it's so great, there's nobody like her. Just looking at Babylon's sorceries, uh, listen to this description of Babylon. Uh, Babylonia was famous in the ancient world for its magic and divinatory practices, divining. Literally thousands of texts, so literally thousands of ancient manuscripts have been uncovered dealing with a multitude of subjects, including incantations that help alleviate the pain of a toothache. Help, uh, help a baby that is stuck in the womb and help a mother who is barren. It appears that the common person hired an incantation and priest for even the most mundane problems. The priest then came and recited a spell to exercise a problematic demon or other divine irritant. Now, if they're doing this for toothaches and even more minor problems, if they're exercising divination, how much more would they do so for matters of national security? as they talked about this studying of the horoscope as I was doing some research on that, uh, people, men spent hours and days and lifetimes studying the stars and trying to coordinate the movement of the stars and correlate that with activities in life and, and coming up with the zodiac symbols and, and coming up with, with all manner of uh, astrology. And, uh, and, 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 the connections are doubtful. They're a little bit spurious. spurious. They're, 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 they're just not certain. But it gives you the illusion that you're able to control something in life. And again, I think every once in a while something supernatural pops through to just keep you coming back. In Babylon, the priests would sacrifice animals and then they'd read the intestines. And much effort went into correlating what they would see in the entrails and uh, that and events in human life. 
And, and probably a lot of time in being vague enough in your predictions that you could always be right. You know, kind of the fortune cookie thing where, where you have a lot of these predictions where it's like, well, when is this not true? <laughs> when is this poss- not possibly true? But even today, people who deny the power of God check their horoscopes daily, hoping to gain some vantage, advantage over their lot in life. They see how horoscopes are so broad as to say nothing while still saying something, yet they look at it. And again, the Babylonians invented it. The, the, the 12 names of the zodiac are, are Greek forms of Babylonian words. 2,500 years, this culture still has an impact on the world's worship of the stars. Verse 11 has three verb phrases that describe what will happen to Babylon and three phrases that assure Babylon will have no way to cope with it. Look at verse 11. Evil shall come upon you, which you will not know how to charm away. Your charms, your incantations are not going to help. Disaster shall fall upon you, for which you will not be able to atone. There is no atonement. There is no buying your way out of this. And then finally, ruin shall come upon you suddenly of which you know nothing. For all that you think you know in your, in your spirituality, in, in your manipulations, you will know nothing. And you will recognize you know nothing. You will be utterly lost. So verse number, or point number four, uh, enchantments and counselors will all fail Babylon and leave her exposed, verses 12 through 15. Stand fast, and this is mockery, by the way. Stand fast in your enchantments and your sorceries with which you have labored from your youth. Perhaps you may be able to succeed. Perhaps you will inspire terror. You are wearied with your many counselors, counsels. Let them stand forth and save you, those who divide the heavens, referring to astrology, and gaze at the stars. Who at the new moon make known what shall come upon you. Uh, this is mockery. Yeah, let's just, let's just try our enchantments. Let's try our astrology. Let's see how this happens when God rains down fire from heaven. In verse 14, we see why they will be helpless. These evil counselors uh, are, are the very stubble that are going to be burned in this. Look at verse 14. Behold, they are, all, they are like stubble. The fire consumes them. So if you see a field with dry stubble and you have a a hot, windy, dry day and you get a fire going across that stubble, how long does that fire last? Uh, Not long, right? It it just burns and it just consumes and there's nothing left. That's what these counselors are. They are like stubble. The fire consumes them. They cannot deliver themselves from the power of the flame. And just to make sure you understand what kind of fire it is, we have this second statement in verse 14. No coal for warming oneself is this. No fire to sit before. In other words, this is not a useful fire. Uh, This is not a functional fire that yields any kind of benefit for you. These people are stubble and they are going to be consumed quickly. They are going to be gone off the face of the earth in your moment of trial. Finally, notice in verse 15 how people who are not grounded on the word of God wander in every kind of direction. They will not save you. Verse 15, such are those such to you are those with whom you have labored, who have done business with you from your youth. They wander about, each in his own direction. There is no one to save you. Your counselors, they don't know where they're going. 
They are utterly lost. Now, typically in Babylon, what you would do as the king of Babylon is you would say, as Nebuchadnezzar said many times, bring in the wise men and the soothsayers. Right? And, and wise men was really sorcerers, if you look at that word, Daniel, Daniel's title in the court of, uh, of, the, of, of uh, Nebuchadnezzar was a sorcerer. Okay, so in, in their minds, they were all sorcerers. So let's bring in the sorcerers, let's bring in the soothsayers, and let's get it done. And if it's a military problem, let's send out the military, because we got the greatest. Babylon was so powerful, they could do something, even if it's wrong, and deal with the consequences later. I mean, you just move, you mess with Babylon, you get moved upon, they handle it. And even if it wasn't the greatest strategy, they will just power their way through. That would typically be the answer, but all of a sudden, in this environment, all of their counselors are like a stubble field, just burned away. There's nothing there. But counselors, all the wise people, they're going in every direction. Kind of reminds me when we have our men's retreat here on, uh, on November 10th and 11th again this year. Pastor Stuart Wiest, uh, I asked him what his breakout session was going to be, and uh, they, they, uh, they, had, they are very involved uh, in their public school down in Preston with their kids and everything, and he said, I would like to have a session on just addressing all of this madness with your children. How do you address all this cultural madness and confusion that we are going through with your children? When do you address it? How do you address it? Uh, we, we know what philosophical madness looks like in the United States of America. And, 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 uh, and this is what Babylon's going to be like utterly when, when, uh, when God judges them. So today's text make a, makes a mockery of those. It judges Babylon and it makes a mockery of those who through uh, various religious sources outside of the Bible uh, are, are just confused. There is one word of God that explains God, explains man, explains the universe. There is one word of God that foretold the future that has come to pass up to this point. And there is one word of God that is telling future events that are yet to happen and will be proven right. By the way, there's one word of God that offers atonement for your sin. Your horoscope, I don't care how much incredible stuff people have seen from it, will never atone for your sin. The Babylonians have an impressive religious history, astrology, zodiac signs that people use for 2,500 years. They had sorceries to grease the skids in many areas of life. I have no doubt that there were evidences of supernatural results from time to time. But they cannot atone for sin. They cannot charm away God's ultimate judgment in hell. And in the end, the followers of godless religion know nothing. They don't know the when. They don't know the who. They don't know the how of their own destruction. They are all blind to it. You are without excuse this morning because you know some things. You have the word of God in your hand. It tells you the who, the what, the how. It tells us that God created man. It tells us that man sinned rebelliously and lives in enmity toward God. It tells us that we have garnered eternal punishment for the deeds of our sins. It tells us that God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to live a righteous life on our behalf, to die a punitive death on our behalf. And it tells us that this is God's gift of atonement for you and for me. There are no enchantments that you can utter 
to garner this salvation for yourself. There's only faith in Jesus. It's not even the greatness of your faith. It's not even how good you are at faith. It is that you have faith in this very good Savior, Jesus Christ. So you have no excuse. You know where to go. You know you need to humble yourself. You know you need to repent from sin, and you need to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. You are called to trust him. It's interesting that Babylon, too, was God's servant in disciplining Israel. Babylon did the task, but the problem is they did it with joy. They did it with diligence. They harmed the people of God greatly. Though God was pleased to discipline Israel, he was not pleased with Babylon and how they disciplined Israel. We need to be very careful how we regard God's people. We need to be very careful in our relationship with vengeance. uh, We need to be very careful to be merciful, moderate people toward others, even those who are harming us. There should be a moderation. You are the child of God. You are his ambassador. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And, And so you need to play your part as the child of God, lest he be displeased with you. Let's bow forward to prayer, and then we'll ask Doug to come and lead us in our closing hymn. Father, you are our God. You are righteous. You are good. Father, you will judge all evil, including the evils that have been done against us, God. Evil people with, uh, Lord, uh, wickedness in their heart who get joy out of hurting us and then get joy out of talking about how they hurt us. Uh, Father, it's just sport to them. People who are evil to the core. Vengeance is yours, Lord. Our part is to love our enemies, to be moderate, to be merciful, to be pleasing to you. God, I pray that you would help us to walk this earth with great care, that our behavior would be becoming to you. Thank you, God, for this church family. Thank you for unity, for love, for forgiveness, for patience. God, we thank you that our efforts to forbear and forgive will not be forgotten. That, Father, you look down on them and you are pleased. And we pray, God, that you would work in our hearts and continue to enable us to forgive, to forbear, to love.